I'm always defensive or always offensive, then I'm limiting myself. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a very odd week here in uh, North Carolina, nationally and internationally, I think, and uh, punctuated by lots of things in the news and uh, odd stuff going on. But, um, but hopefully we can salvage something from this and use it as a leverage for positive thinking. Um, so today I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, about self-defense and maybe not in kind of the conventional sense of kind of what style of martial arts should you practice and uh, which techniques should you or tactics should you use in physical defense and not even really a discussion of kind of like the legal and ethical factors of defense like how much defense is good and you know when do you get to shoot people and stuff like that right because mm, these right. seem to be the two the major things but more kind of the entire mindset of defense um like how can we juggle like the problem of self-protection like wanting to protect yourself with the tendency to become overly defensive or overly aggressive right and that that i think has ramifications for physical practical defense as we practice in systema but also you know daily life relationships you know marriage all kinds of different things um i think can get thrown thrown astray by um by being overly defensive um, or overly aggressive as a response as a response to that so um sounds like something maybe we can explore a little bit today or? yeah yeah sounds good Remi- reminds me of um when I started teaching at a Quaker school, mm. and I wasn't a Quaker, I'm not a Quaker, mm. um, but they talk about you know nonviolence or pacifism as a philosophy, mm. and it, the way they talk about it is very appealing. Yeah, like I want that to be a true way to be in the world, but mm. it could, it wasn't for me. Yeah, there were all, and it wasn't like I was going to walk around beating people up. Mm. Like pacifism, 99% of the time. Mm would have worked yeah but i kept seeing little areas where you know what like being allowing myself to be hurt or allowing people around me to be hurt Mm. by not taking action in this in one situation or another whether hypothetical or something i'd read about in the news or something historical sure didn't didn't sit right yeah yeah I think there's that old adage that pacifism is only pacifism if it's, if it's a choice, right? If you're capable of the opposite and you choose mm-hmm. not to fight, right? Um, mm-hmm. Then it's genuine pacifism. If not, it's something else, right? It's a, and you have to kind of, um, yeah. I, th- I think it's interesting you bring up the, um, the idea of whether it's defending somebody else, right? I think it's probably philosophically easier to commit to the idea of pacifism as in I'm not going to, I just won't defend myself physically or, you know, that kind of stuff as a concept, if, it, if it's only you that's under threat. Um, but I can imagine immediately a situation where somebody's, you know, shoving my kids around or threatening my kids with a weapon or something like that. And I wouldn't be like, hey, man, I'm a pacifist. Don't hurt my kids. I would be ready to kill them. Right. Yep. You know, so that's, that's it's an easy place where things go out the window. And I think sometimes um, and, and this might seem like a harsher overgeneralization. I think people who romanticize pacifism. Um, sometimes have just never really been exposed to violence. And so they, they don't know what it is that they're dealing with a lot of the time. They think that you can um, just retreat from or placate any type of violence. And I don't think that's necessarily true on a physical level. I think there's, um, I don't think that violence is the answer, but unfortunately sometimes it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of my philosophy on it. It's like, I, I would like it not to be, but sometimes it's, it's the only way. And then it's a question of like how you apply that violence. right? And I think that's 
where we like to study in Sistema, it's like some other styles are like, well, sometimes violence has to be the answer. Therefore, you should get really, really good at violence, right? Um, really understand it and then come out all guns blazing and just damage the guy as much as possible, right? That's not quite Sistema's philosophy. Sistema's philosophy is um, you should do what's necessary, right? You should, and, and I like the choice of phrasing sometimes that comes down from Michael and Vladimir as in like, you know, you shouldn't destroy the guy, you should destroy his will to continue fighting you, right? Mm -hmm. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. You know, you can do that psychologically, you can do that with one well-placed strike versus a series of bludgeons to the head that might render him unconscious, you know? You, so in, in physical terms, it's, it's having, that, having that tactic versus like, I'm going to overwhelming violence kind of, kind of choosing that sense is, uh, I think, gives you a different place to work from. Um, and that's a middle ground that I've managed to come become a bit more comfortable with physically, I think, mm -hmm. um, versus I think before training uh, Aikido and other uh, martial arts that were very, very defensive. I trained some others before that had attacking aspects and karate and jiu-jitsu and stuff. But with Aikido, it's very much uh, the idea that you, you just never really attack. You know, you, you literally just wait for the attack. And then the whole idea is not only to subdue them, but subdue them with a minimum of force and with um, um, without hurting them. And Sistema doesn't quite go that far. It's like sometimes you have to hurt somebody a little bit to stop them, right? Um, but the goal is to stop them, it's not to destroy them. And I think that's where the um, the, the, the the line between those two kind of comes out. And I think if you're always waiting, and maybe we can come, kind of come into this, it's like if you're always waiting for the attack, whether it's physical or psychological, um, you might not survive that initial onslaught long enough to apply mm -hmm. your principles, right? You really might not. Like the, the first sucker punch, the first attack, the first time you get stabbed, or the first thing that somebody comes out with might, might be very, very difficult to recover yeah. from. Right? And, and, yeah. and waiting can mm. also be a, an ego thing, mm. right? Like, well, it wasn't my fault. There's no, you know, I was provoked. There's no finger, there's no fingerprints. So if there's, if there's mm. doubt, mm. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a safer place to be self-righteous from. Yeah. Okay. So before we get too far into the weeds, because I think this is getting pretty thick already on that kind of thing, it's, it's worth posing the question, I think, like, why, um, why defend yourself at all? What's the purpose of defense? It seems like an yeah. ob obvious question, yeah. but maybe we should flesh that out a little bit. Yeah. Well, whenever, whenever someone asks me a tough question like that, I always have to turn back to biology because I mm. find human culture often has bad answers mm. to obvious questions. Okay. So I think about like, well, we're animals mm. and animals defend themselves because that's what animals do. Like okay. Every single animal has has devotes huge amounts of resources mm -hmm. to protection against threats and predators, whether okay. whether it's uh, chemical or armor mm -hmm. or, teeth, or and claws, teeth and claws or weaponry. speed yeah. or or uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's just you know it's every you know we're you know nature red in tooth and claw right. Every, everything's trying to, to make a living, mm -hmm. and part of that involves. Um, consuming other things that would rather be alive. Right, gotcha, okay. So from just from a straight survival viewpoint, so let's just completely cut out anything that doesn't have a cerebral cortex, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all that way, so we cut out all the human factors about relationships, and, and you know, once you get into higher primates, you've definitely got defense in the social context, right? Because you're getting ostracized can cause trouble and all that kind of stuff. But let's leave it down to the, the, the absolute base level, which is it's to protect yourself from physical harm, right? It's, it's, to, it's to protect yourself from sustaining damage that will, um, th if it's enough damage, it will prevent you from going around, going about your usual life uh, 
yeah. your usual life kind of uh, abilities, right? So even if it's like as a result of an attack, you become disabled and you can't work, right? Maybe you're not killed or eaten by a person, right? <laughs> Very few people eat you, thankfully. Um, but if you if you sustain enough damage, then maybe you can't work. If you t- get a terrible neck injury or back injury or something like that um, as a result of being attacked or you know stabbed or mugged or something like that, um, then it might be you can't provide for your family and, and that, as with an animal, like sustaining a broken leg or something might mean kind of the beginning of the end for you in terms of quality of life, if not life itself. So on a very fundamental level, it's defend yourself from physical attack. Um, and animals, interestingly, um, non-human animals, do this, in a lot, as you said, in a lot of different ways. So you've got um, the arms race. It's basically you can build so much armor, like an armadillo or a pangolin or something like that, that it's physically difficult to hurt you. Right? You just kind of roll into a ball and they're like, to give it your best shot. You know, kind of, That's kind of one way that they do it. Um, or have a very, very thick hide that's very, very difficult to get through. Um, the second one is uh, weaponry. So they just have big teeth, big claws. Um, and we're pretty, on both of those counts, we're pretty weak. And we're one of the flimsiest, most vulnerable animals on the planet, right? We walk upright with all of our ventral organs exposed to attack. Um, you know, even if I grow out my fingernails as long as possible, right? <laughs> they basically just curl into themselves and they're really not going to be very effective for it. They'll break off rather than like dig off in somebody's neck or something. Um, yeah, teeth too. I mean, we can bite and people can bite in a fight, but eh, they're not particularly lethal weapons like for us and that kind of stuff, right? So, so we have to learn to use our bodies as weapons instead, right? And maybe that's one part of what martial arts does. It, it enables us to be less weak animals, right? Yeah. It, it allows us to use our kind of primate agility and dexterity and characteristics to, to leverage our body as more of a weapon. So that's one way. But animals also use um, evasion and camouflage a lot more than they do mm-hmm. like um, armor and teeth. And it's, teeth. Stu- it's cheaper, right? It's much cheaper, yeah, in terms of the, the cost. So it, it's easier to change behavior um, than it is to um, just right. enter fights and risk injury the whole time. And even animals that are pretty well armed will um, use behavioral tactics first, right? So there's kind of a hierarchy where they'll be going about normal kind of eating and breeding behaviors. And then as soon as there's the beginning of a threat from a predator, they'll alter those behaviors in very small ways. Like they won't feed as much and they'll avoid certain places which are exposed. Um, they'll um, avoid mating behaviors. They won't, um, you know, try and be looking for a mate while there might be a predator in the area because they realize they'll be distracted, all those kinds of things. So they change their behaviors in very, very subtle ways that aren't necessarily full-on paranoid defensive tactics, but they're just like, mm, let's not subject myself to extra risk here, right? Mm-hmm. And then if they actually see like a predator break the grass or something, or, or they hear the sound of it, or they see, you know, like dung or something like that, then they'll change animal in different, uh, change behaviors in different ways. They'll flock together a lot more if they're a herding animal, or they'll stay kind of closer to areas that they know, or they might even show withdrawal behaviors where they just don't go out, you know? <laughs> and, they'll kind of, and they only kind of come out at certain times. And of course, some animals only come out at night and or, or at secluded kind of areas and sort in an effort to avoid anybody at all. And, and humans do this when we feel under attack too, right? So humans, when we feel threatened, sometimes will um, maybe not even just physically threatened, will just withdraw, right? I mean, a, a classic easy example is a, is a kid who's bullied at school, right? He might he literally becomes withdrawn, doesn't want to actually go physically to school, wants just to avoid the place where the violence might happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also becomes psychologically withdrawn, doesn't want to talk to people, doesn't want to risk relationships, all of those things, that some try and kind of make friends and kind of like get in with a group at that point if they feel threatened. And that's an animal tactic of herding too, a little bit, the safety in numbers, but a lot just kind of keep themselves to themselves, try and be as quiet and as small as possible and to kind of hide in plain sight. And there's certainly elements of that in the training that we do. Um, We practice hiding in plain sight, right? We practice not being seen 
in a crowd and even the the fighting movements that we make are designed so that they're not easy to spot as aggressive movements which is interesting i think um and there are huge you know reams of systema that are dedicated to situational awareness which i think is the human um higher cognitive equivalent of of the prey behavior where they're just trying to spot predators and then alter themselves alter their patterns so that they're not as easily preyed upon so i think there are some interesting corollaries there yeah i'm also thinking about the animals the like a, like the way a cat or other animals will make themselves seem larger, mm. uh, or the, or, the, or the animals that will uh, that mimic a, a dangerous mm. uh, like a, they'll they'll develop the spots to look like something poisonous. Yeah, so like I'm know. not worth eating. Don't attack me, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like mm. all, you know, the, and those are even like orders of magnitude cheaper. Sure, because they're they're yeah. they're sort of parasitizing. Yeah. Some other reality to 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 pretend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And there, I guess there are kind of corollaries to that in human defense as well. Like some people will. Um, well, just yeah. the, the lawn sign that says, "I have a," you know, the yeah, protected the, by Smith and Wesson or something like, yeah. <laughs> on your lawn, or, or beware of dog or something like that. Or, yeah, or, or even in a physical sense as well, just like you know, powerlifting until you're physically imposing and you look like somebody that doesn't want to be attacked, all that kind of thing, or talking a big game. You know right. what I mean? Like a, in the hope that if you sound tough, you talk yeah. tough, that somebody will just back down and right. both well, of those things can backfire. Right. Well, I'm thinking of like MMA and you know, mm. Conor McGregor and yeah. you know, football yeah. players before a, before a big game. Yeah, it didn't play out too well for Conor McGregor in that last fight, but there he goes. <laughs> he no, enraged was... the guy so much he was ready to kill him and yeah. his entire crew. So. That was weird. But yeah, that, was a, that wasn't good for the sport, but you know, it's a... Sometimes, unfortunately, you can reap what you sow as well. That's, that's not particularly good for anybody. Um, but yeah, so okay, so on a, on a simple level, kind of to avoid attack, right? And to forestall attack, to anticipate an attack, to, to either get away from it entirely or to, at least to weather it if, you, if basically you are physically attacked. So that's, that's one argument, like the practical argument. You have to learn to defend yourself to avoid injury or harm, basically, um, kind of that way. Um, and to that end, it's often said, um, kind of in human in sports, uh, in human sports and in martial arts as well, that the best defense is a sound offense, right? Um, mm -hmm. People often say this, um, and unfortunately, there's there's quite a bit of truth to this, uh, I think, right? And th to this idea that if you don't want to be attacked, if you don't want to kind of suffer injury or harm, if you don't want to lose, um, then sometimes the best thing you can do is act first, right? If you if somebody looks like they're squaring up to punch you in the face. It's sometimes it's better not to do the monkey dance and play out the whole ritual of like you said, she said, what did you say? What did you call me? Shove each other a little bit and then wait to see if the guy punches you in the face to see if you're legally justified to hit him. Sometimes if you think the guy's going to hit you, the best thing to do is hit him first, right? And then probably you'll escape with less damage because you can capitalize on that. You can hit him and run or you can hit him and hit him again. Um, but then you kind of toe this line of kind of... Um, legal responsibility right if you in threat for your life and of course if you have weapons to that it's even worse right mm -hmm. and, and often we see this in the news where somebody will shoot somebody apparently in self-defense and then the person turns out to be unarmed and then there's an argument of like well depending on the state that you live in it's like he feared for his life he feared for his, uh, his his own body and all that kind of stuff so he was legally justified to shoot the person that gets into those kinds of things so it's so that's a tricky one um but well, the, the, yeah. the other problem with the, you know, mm. the best defense is a good offense mm. is it, it makes the assumption that you're always under threat to a, cer to a certain extent. Like most of the mm. time, even when you know, we train Sistema, we, sure. are, we have situational awareness, yeah. most of the time the world is fairly benign for us. Yeah. 
Yeah, but not for people who are looking for the threat all the time, right? Um, who are on offense the whole who, time. Who are on offense, who are sending out those messages, yeah. who are filtering situations, mm. and who are sending out signals that invite that kind of challenge. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there are a couple of reasons why that doesn't why it doesn't work um, as a, as a long term tactic. Um, but I think it's worth acknowledging that it can work first. Um, and so the first the first um, first experience I kind of had with this was in fencing. Funny enough, so I studied martial arts when I was younger and kind of did um, a bit of you know sparring and stuff. And I did karate and other stuff like that, but never really took it far enough to to understand <coughs> the real conflict. Um, in that at the time it was just kind of play when I was a little kid you know um, but then when I started to practice fencing I did like saber fencing and foil fencing I got into these big high level tournaments um, <laughs> where you could go through the first few rounds pretty much just with your skill um, and you could kind of hang out and wait and kind of look for your perfect moment and then just kind of stab somebody on the way in and I was particularly a, a defensive stylist I enjoyed waiting for the guy to attack and make a mistake and then parry and repost very very quickly right he create an opening by trying to attack me and I got really really good at that and and like to hang back but the first kind of high level tournament that I got into that wasn't just kind of between schools in my area that you know spanned out into like part of the country pretty much um, I noticed that I got through the first cut few rounds in that and then by the time I got to the quarter final um, people who were playing that defensive kind of game that like wait to be attacked and then counterattack type thing were just dropping like flies um, because in fencing you have this system where both people are hooked up to these machines these buzzer machines people have probably seen it on tv or on the olympics if you haven't uh, ever done it before um, and the idea is that if there's a quick flurry of movement because it can be blindingly fast right the swords move so fast um, and it seems like both people get stabbed at the same time then there's kind of lights that come on to show whether or not the, uh, which guy hit first and sometimes it could be like milliseconds between the two mm. touches um, and also whether or not the person that got hit was on target or off target because there are specific targets in fencing right um, and actually so the way that transpired in fencing was that you kind of if you play that game where you sit back and you wait for them to attack and then you're trying going to try and repost, parry and repost and win and you get into a situation where it's like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the people who just went aggressive at the quarterfinals, who just came out and they're, they're waiting, they're standing there at the fixed distance, and the guy says, "Ale, go!" And the person that just came forward and attacked, even if he was off target a lot of the time, even if he got hit at the same time, so were it a real sword fight, both people would have died, right? But if you behaved like you didn't care if you died, and you just went flying in. Um, versus somebody else who was behaving as if they didn't want to die and they were going to parry and then repost. You, you, more often than not, you would win. And actually, even at Olympic level fencing, you see this. It's like very, everybody's very, very, very aggressive, right? There's not, there's some waiting, there's some movement and all that kind of stuff as well. But you don't see people being purely defensive. There's, uh, and if you do, they get picked off, right? Um, so I saw from a, about age 12, about age 12, 13, that kind of whole idea that if you're too defensive, if you wait too much, if you're too kind of much of a pacifist with it, kind of, that you, you will pay the price for people who are just, who bowl you over with their aggression to an extent. So that can work. Um, and even in old, old Japanese sword styles like Kenjutsu, um, like the Book of Five Rings, the Gordin Nosho, written by Miyamoto Masashi, this really famous swordsman, right? And um, one of the principles that he had in there was um, this whole idea of Ayuchi, which is like mutual killing, right? And this whole idea that you have to, strike as if you have no um no regard for your own life right you mm. have to be prepared to die when you go into the fight and if you do that you will strike with kind of decisiveness and the other guy will always hesitate and you will cut him down right and it takes a certain degree of 
and you know craziness to be able to pull that off but he went through like i think it was upwards on 70 one-to-one sword duels with real swords and killing people all the way through the way and that obviously got him a long way too versus people who were just terrified of the idea that this guy was coming no matter what like you know and that kind of perf- perfused um, bushido and samurai culture for a lot of years this whole idea of you have to be prepared to die and if you're not then you're just not going to prevail right so I think there is some practical justification to this, um, and that's certainly kind of leaked over into some martial arts like uh, like Krav Maga, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Silat to a certain extent, like even like Chinese internal arts like Xingyi stuff like that, where where the basic idea is to come crashing through your opponent. Right, he comes to you and you crash forwards. You don't retreat and defend. You just it's all all guns blazing with with some you know nuance, um, trying to cut the angle a little bit and trying to kind of. Um, put up defenses as you go in at the same time, but it's forward, forward, forward all the time. Um, that idea is to crash through. Um, and there's some effectiveness to that, I think, as well. So it's um, so it's it's not one that we can dismiss right away. We can't just say that, no, it's not the case that the best defense is a good offense. Because I think sometimes it can be. It depends how your, your, it depends what situation is and how your opponent behaves. And I think that's the critical thing. If you're both, um, if you're both being aggressive um, and you go smashing into somebody, you have to, look at the possibility that you're going to get hurt in this too, right? You're both mm-hmm. going to get injured in this whole thing. Um, quite apart from the psychological aspects that you talked to, that you alluded to just now, which is that if you're always looking for that, um, then you have no other option, right? That's the problem. Like if, you, if you're like, well, the only offense is, the only good defense is a good offense. When somebody starts shouting at you or starts calling you names or doing something, you have option one, walk away, option two, crush, go forward, smash him in the face. And there's almost, there's almost nothing in between, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you practice that enough, it, it does make you an aggressive person who tends to get into more fights. And one of those classic guys who's like, yeah, I was just minding my own business. And for the third time this month, this guy just started on me for no reason. <laughs> and after a while, you're like, you don't think maybe it's you? Maybe it's, I don't know anybody else who's getting to this many fights. Everybody knows somebody like this. Right? Yeah. So, and, there's, and there's also, the, because there's so few data points, mm-hmm. there's a selection bias. So if you do if you do get into two or three fights like that and you are aggressive mm. and you prevail, you start to think, well, thank God I did that. Yeah. Because you don't have any counterfactuals sure. to, well, I could have talked them down. I could have bought them a beer. Yeah. I could have walked away. I could have uh, sure. done any number of intermediary steps. Yeah. Um, and actually, even if the, the other guy does win, if you're aggressive and the other guy wins, you can always um, reason it away by saying, if only I was more aggressive. <laughs> or imagine, you know, imagine how much yeah. worse it would have been yeah, if yeah. I'd just been a pansy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so there's that. Um, but I think the argument, um, the argument against just being aggressive as a form of defense and the argument in favor of having defense as a tactic, right, starting with the idea of defense, um, Tactically, um, I think without the ability to defend yourself, you're less likely to prevail unscathed. I think like that's that's an easy that's a fairly uncontroversial statement to make, right? I, I think if you're if you go into every fight like a like a war of attrition and you're just going to smash the guy down, right? And it might well be that you'll win a lot of fights, but you're not going to do it without damage, right? You're going to sustain damage on the way, and the same thing is true for. Um, verbal arguments right if, if, if the way that you solve verbal arguments with people is always you have to win and you do it by bigger and louder or being more vicious in your choice of words or whatever it's going to be then yeah you might win a lot of arguments um but you're not going to win a lot of friends that way and so you will sustain damage like psychologically and emotionally after a while um or there'll be harm that's done to you because of the way that you treat people does that kind of make sense so there's a, so on the on the tactical level 
I don't think it's good to be aggressive all the time because it means you're always going to sustain damage. That's kind of how I've, that's kind of how I view it. Right. It's sort of a prisoner's dilemma mm. game where you know, the, the, the worst thing you can, the worst outcome might be you being completely defensive. Yeah. But also the best outcome mm. could, you, could, could involve you being more defensive than sure. aggressive a lot of the time, depend, yeah. you know, depending on what your partner yeah. or opponent, yeah. uh, what, what their perspective is. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. what, you know, what I'm thinking of is in our first podcast, when I had you on my show probably three, four years ago, hmm. um, you know, I took all these notes. And then and what I decided was the, the key message that I wanted to put in the title was remaining human no matter what. Mm, yeah. And so that, you know, to me, that's about freedom, mm. that if I'm always defensive or always offensive, then I'm limiting myself yeah. in, in, in some way that there's there's situational benefits to both of those. Yeah. And the situation could change in, a, in, a, in an instant, in a split second. Yeah. But to be able to, to remain human, to remain conscious, to remain uh, an agent, yeah. as opposed to simply reacting to prior rules and heuristics or reacting and letting the other person yeah. control me, either by yeah. making me defensive or making me aggressive. Right. Yeah. So, so quite apart from kind of like the ethical standpoint of like, if you don't have any defense, then attack is all that you can do. And quite apart from the tactical idea of like, that you might sustain damage. There's this other idea that, um, that it, it, it removes your agency in some way, right? That, um, That if that's if that's always if you're always reacting to what somebody else does, um, and you you just have a tactic for it, whether it's just be 100% defensive or be 100% aggressive, then then the situation's always con controlling you, or the person's mm -hmm. always controlling you, right? It removes choice, um, yeah. kind of across the board a little bit, um, and I think that's the main reason why um, why I think it's necessary to practice what's called self-defense versus rather you know, the, 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 what's often called self-defense in firearm circles, right? <laughs> you can't be defensive with a firearm, really. Nobody really draws a firearm to, you know, to like wave it around or parry things with it. You know, yeah. so if you draw a firearm, you're going to shoot somebody with it, right? So it's self-defense in the, in the sense of you're stopping physical harm by harming somebody else first, right? Um, but, but not quite in that, in that wider sense of it. I, I, I think the reason, if, if you don't have the capacity to defend yourself, right? If you don't have the capacity to... Um, and that could be anything from the, the confidence to, that you can take a punch or the confidence that you can take somebody calling you names or shouting at you or insulting your mother or whatever it's going to be, right? If you don't have that capacity to defend yourself at all, then psychologically, you're not going to be strong enough to stay in a place where you can make real human decisions, right? Um, in Systema specifically, we practice a lot absorbing blows, right? And we practice getting stabbed by, you know, either real weapons or, or like uh, slightly less dangerous training weapons. And very few martial arts do that. Most of them start from the premise of, okay, so the guy's trying to hit you and you successfully move and block and then here's how you kick his ass, right? <laughs> it's always just like, well, you never want to get hit or stabbed, so let's just throw that one out the window. We're not going to do that. Here's how you not do that and then hit the guy back, right? But we work all the time from this idea of getting punched in the face and we start with pushes and then we get hit and we get struck. And we learn to be a little bit attenuated to the fear of getting hit. And we learn literally physical mechanisms. We build up our internal armor um, to be able to not just take the blows, but to take the blows and be okay with that psychologically, right? Um, mm -hmm. And until you do that, you're always going to be controlled by somebody punching you, right? This, it doesn't matter how tactical you think you are or what skills you have. If somebody physically punches you 
and you don't have the ability, your body doesn't have that, that what Vlad calls the combative body, the ability to defend itself, right? Mm -hmm. um, to just weather that and, and your mind to stay kind of clear in that process, then you will be controlled. You'll either be controlled into, into retreat or you'll be, um, into, or you'll be, uh, you'll provo be provoked to like a vicious counterattack, right? But you won't remain human. So you won't be able to use any of those psychological tactics or, um, or higher tendencies that, that Sistema allows if you don't have the basis for defense. And even in something like quite technical, like in uh, like jujitsu, I was reading a um, really good book by, a, I think it's one of the Machado brothers or something like that. Um, and he talked about how he went through his entire career starting with the whole idea of defending like uh, chokes, joint locks, um, leg locks, all kinds of stuff like that. He would start with the idea of like, okay, the guy's already got me in this. How do I escape? And that's what he practiced all of the time, all of the time, all the time. And then only then would he go from like, okay, I've escaped it. How do I counterattack? Mm. Instead of what people typically drill a lot of the time, which is like, how do I assume the superior position? And then, or how do I reverse it really, really quickly? And then how can, how many attacks can I apply from these different places, right? Being really aggressive. Um, and his rationale for that was similar to our rationale for defense in Sistema, I think, which is that if you're so terrified of getting choked or joint locked, that every time somebody threatens one, you move, right? That you run away from it or you try and do something back. Then the guy's controlling you with his movement and you're always going to be stuck in this kind of pattern of running away or trying to get the guy back, right? It's only when you actually feel confident in your ability to defend yourself that you have choices. You have the ability to look at the big picture of the situation and then make a measured decision based on the whole situation. Him, you, the environment around you, the time you have available, whether or not he has friends, all of those things. You can't do any of that if you've... If you've if you doubt your mm. ability to defend yourself, so you have to be able to train to defend yourself first. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, there's, no, there's nothing else. I think. Yeah, and in my experience, the, the, the signals that you send out when you have that confidence yeah. is incredibly intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Because when, I've, when I've, I've trained with you, you've hit me. Mm. We've, we've um, grappled, and mm. you, you, know, you have tremendous experience and much more skill than I do in, in all of those things. I've never felt intimidated. Hmm. But when we're doing an exercise where I am, I'm, I'm attacking you, hmm. and you somehow like shrug it off with sort of curiosity, yeah. like like the thing I do didn't bother you in the least. Yeah, like yeah. I can feel psychologically something sinking. Yeah, right yeah. within me, and that's yeah. just you. Yeah. You know, one of my very good friends. Like, sure. yeah. you know, I can imagine. Like I can, I don't know if there's any particular movie that comes to mind, but somebody like goes and like punches somebody in the face, and then the person just stands there and smiles. Like, is that the best you can do? Yeah, <laughs> you, know, like, you call that a knife? Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's the moment at which yeah. the fight is lost. Right, psychologically for the other guy. Yeah, or it might be even the point at which he backs down. He's like. Okay, well, that kind of was my best cheap shot, and it didn't work. That that normally wins fights for me with my aggressive tactics, and it didn't right now. So maybe now I need to think about talking. Yeah, about it's like what yeah. does Glenn know right. that yeah. I don't? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it does. And you know, I think for that reason, since starting training Sistema, I've been in practically zero fights. Right, I've been in situations where there's been threats, and I've managed to talk them down and stuff. And I think it's it's because people feel that right. Um, in those, I mean, I think obviously I've just learned to avoid them a lot better too. Right, and I'm I'm not so quick to get into them. But even when there was physical threat a couple of times, the guy would typically see that you kind of know something, and he's and you're not reacting in the same kind of ways um, as he would expect. And then he'll find a, a way to loophole himself. Right, he'll find an excuse for not continuing. And you can help him with that too. You can apologize like without being weak. Right, you can be like. I'm really sorry about that. Can I buy you a drink? Right, and he's just like, yeah, you should. You know, it's like, and it flips, but nobody has to get hurt. So yeah, I think, but without that capacity for for defense, you can't just. Um, in the manner of an animal that pretends to be a more dangerous animal, right? I think we were talking about earlier, yeah. or pretends to be venomous or something. 
people can smell it, right? If you if you try and put a face on it and you try and kind of be really brave and you're not actually brave because it's not based on anything. It's not yeah. based on experience. It's not based on training. It's not based on self-knowledge. It's just a, a mask you're putting in front of yourself. People can smell it a mile off and they'll go straight through it. They can they can see that insecurity. Um, I think unless you're a spectacular actor, I don't, I don't think you can carry that off. Um, so maybe study either Sistema for years and actually <laughs> learn that ability or take lessons with you know an elite actor so that you can, <laughs> you can fake it. If you're a genuine pacifist, maybe that's the way forward. <laughs> learn to be the best actor in the world. Emmanuel Manolakakis will be coming to Durham, North Carolina on the weekend of January the 26th, 27th, 2019 for a two-day exploration of deep Sistema principles. To register online, visit www.ncsistema.com slash events. Before September the 1st, podcast listeners can claim an additional 10% off using the discount code HITME at checkout. That's H-I-T-M-E at the online checkout. Hope to see you there. Before kind of leaving the realm of kind of like the physical a little bit and kind of how this relates to systemic training straight away, um, I think we can kind of put in place kind of a few principles that sort of uh, of things that we should be working on all the time in terms of our defensive capacity so that we have them kind of squared away as the foundation for our systema so that then we're free to explore and we're free to do other things, right? And Konstantin Komarov put, laid this out very, very clearly, I think, in his, um, in his systema manual. And I, th- I think a couple of years... I think the STEM manual maybe came out in about 2010, I want to say 2011 or something like that. But I remember the 2008 immersion camp, he laid this foundation out. And it was the first time I'd ever heard it described this way, that there's kind of layers to what you can do. And if you just start Sistema and try and learn wrestling moves, mm. or you start Sistema and you try and learn to strike, um, you don't have the necessary foundation, the defensive foundation that you, to, to apply those things. You'll be wrestling angry, or you'll be wrestling scared, or you'll be striking scared, right? And, and I see this all the time. People want to learn how to strike, but I'm like... You can't because you don't know how to get hit yet, right? It's, it's really it's, it's really key or you want to learn to wrestle. It's just like you have to learn to not be scared on the ground or not be scared of falling over first. Once you can do that, then you might have the capacity to uh, uh, learn some of these things. Um, and his base level is like, first of all, your motivation, like what it is that you, why it is that you're training, right? Um, so on a base level, you have to come into that, into training or into each new month of training kind of restating to yourself, like, why am I here, right? If you lose sight of that and you start training because you're feeling good about yourself or that um, you like winning things or something like that, then you've, you've got away from that whole idea of why you're training, right? And if it's to develop yourself and to increase your capacity to protect yourself and others, right? Then you have to hold that in mind all the time, I think. You can't get too carried away with the other things that Sistema might bring you, right? And if you're training for a different reason, that's fine, but you have to state that as well. Otherwise, you're you're veering from the path of what it was that you got into it for, right? And it can change over time, but you just have to know, I think that's what you're saying. Otherwise, your motivation will drop and everything else falls off, right? And when after that, the body, right? So the body has to learn to defend itself. And in practical terms for us, that means it has to be mobile enough that it's not easily damaged when people twist it and crank it and like and or you step off a curb or, or get shoved into a, like a wall or something like that if it's so stiff that your body is brittle it's no good so one of the first and easiest ways to um teach self-defense is to make your body harder to hurt right um and that comes in joint strength and joint mobility and kind of in practicing the structural integrity of your body building it up a little bit so you're less likely to be damaged um and i've recently felt the benefit of this by walking away from a car crash on, on Thursday night, right? They're hitting, hitting something, hitting a, a crash barrier near a lake very, very hard, um, enough to completely write off the car. And not only staying calm enough to get out of the car before it was, you know, if, 
it had all kinds of fluid leaking and other stuff could have happened. Um, but I literally walked away from it physically unscathed, right? Um, to the point that the woman that was driving by that picked me up couldn't believe that I walked out of this wreckage, right? I genuinely don't believe that I would have walked away from that um, had I not been training Systema for all these years. I, I think it would have been a very different story. Um, maybe I would have been here talking to you today, but I wouldn't have been here <laughs> talking to you with no neck or back injury or shoulder or broken ribs or stuff like that, right? So there's a real benefit to this, even outside of fighting. You have to train your body to be able to just weather things, right? Um, and then it has the confidence to be able to move and do other stuff. Um, and then the psyche, you have to train your psyche to be stable, to be able to defend itself rather than have to kind of go psychologically aggressive or emotional. And, and in practical terms, that's the breath work that we do and the work on internal training. Um, that's absolutely critical. Once you've got that, then you can start practicing movement, defensive movement, the ability to hit the ground, the ability to hit walls, to get in and out of cars. Um, to escape from locks, to escape from holds, things like that. Uh, and then, and only then, can you get into like wrestling, striking, working with weapons, I think, right? So you have to, on a very, very fundamental level, it's not just learning defensive techniques, it's learning the, the absolute fundament on which those techniques are even based, right? Your body, your mind, and your movement have to be free enough, stable enough, secure enough to on which, uh, on which to perch all of these other things, right? And so I think we should spend about 90% of our time reinforcing that foundation and about 10% of the time adding things to the frosting on the top, right? <laughs> Pretty much, and, and that should be the way it is, but some people don't like to train that way. Um, well, I understand that, but I think if you don't train that way, if you don't train, on, train those fundamentals all the time, then you're setting yourself up for aggression or you're setting yourself up for reactivity or at the very least a plateau in your training where you're not, not able to get past this whole idea of being easily provoked psychologically or being afraid of certain types of lock or throw or hitting the ground at certain angles, right? You, you have to be across the board confident in your ability to weather attacks and defend yourself, then and only then, I think, can you move on to the, the, the higher skills in system. Would you kind of mm -hmm. agree with that or is there anything else you'd throw in? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, some of the most interesting work has been doing the offensive stuff with defense in mind or with, with fluidity in mind. So learn, yeah. learn, you know, when I was first learning how to strike yeah. and well, I would feel it when you would take my hand, take my arm and mm. use it as a battering ram. Mm. And that was like a first integration of, oh, so that's what relaxation feels like. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't as I was being, you know, doing a defensive maneuver. Yeah. Uh, it was as, okay, so I can, um, I can strike, mm. I can push, I can, I can shove yeah. um, while maintaining a sense of, of ease. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was it was the it was the integration mm. that allowed me to, to to understand what what ease could feel like. Mm. Yeah, well put. Yeah, there was some in the last podcast I think with uh, Nelson Wagner from down in uh, Brazil. We talked about this a little bit and kind of um, hit upon the point that you can you can be as tense as you want in your body on the outside. You can use a lot of tension. You can be physically a hundred percent tense in the arms and punch somebody right. Um, you can be a hundred percent tense in you, your legs and avoid getting taken down or something like that provided that you're relaxed on the inside, right? You can choose where to put your tension and use it, but the reverse is not true, right? Um, if you're tense on the inside, if you're psychologically tense, you cannot be truly relaxed in the body. So it cuts off all of those options of relaxed striking and relaxed movement. There's only one type of thing that you can do, which is you know, hard, aggressive slamming around, right? So if you want control over your tension, you have to start with relaxation on the inside. Um, otherwise, it's right. always going to be a little bit out of your control. You'll overcompensate in some way. Yeah. Right, in fact, I was up in New York uh, last mm -hmm. week 
Mm -hmm. uh, seeing a, a very highly regarded uh, sort of body worker yeah. who pointed out that I, I was relaxed in my core, but I was weak mm. in my core. And I'd, rec I'd recruited a lot of especially leg muscles, but yeah. also some arm muscles to take the place of what mm -hmm. should have been stabilizing me. And so at that point, I had no choice but to be yeah. um, you know, tight in the extremities because they mm -hmm. were doing jobs. Sure. Uh, so I think, it's, you know, so, as opposed to simply just being relaxed like a rag doll. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, you talk about it and Vladimir certainly talks about it a lot, this idea of, you know, the appropriate amount of tension yeah. for what you're doing. Yeah. So we're, we're both standing here. Yeah. We both are standing with tension. I can feel like I'm standing with a lot more tension mm -hmm. than you're standing with. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, more than is necessary. So I'm, I'm yeah. uh, you know, trying to focus on, so where is it and where, where can it go? How can I sta um, stabilize with, you know, Hmm. bones on top of each other that should be on top of each other sure um, and i guess that's the idea sometimes in like some chinese styles where they'll do qigong and they'll stand for hours in a, in a given posture mm -hmm. right to reinforce this feeling of like well where is my structure and, and can i reinforce that physically and also relax through it as much as possible but for us there's i think there's an added element in that we're standing here and i'm talking to you and i'm very conscious of the fact that i'm shifting slightly from foot to foot as i talk mm -hmm. i do this all the time and it, a lot of that i think is about um not overusing one muscle group, right? Because when mm. one, one chain of muscles gets overused or you just keep it on the whole time, then the whole area around it gets locked up, right? Whereas if you keep mm. shifting the chains that you're using to, to do the same purpose, and this can be when you're holding a push-up position, it could be when you're holding half a squat, wherever it's gonna be, you can choose which muscle chains are holding you up to a certain extent. There has to be a certain kind of core that runs through it, but you don't have to use like crazy tension in your quads or your hamstrings to hold yourself up. You can switch it to your hips or your knees a little bit and, and shift it around. And so I think that's where some of the tie, tie in between structural stability and um, movement comes in as well. Like, it doesn't just give you the freedom to be mobile, but it also gives you the freedom to shift where your structure is a little bit. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and yeah. I think it, it leads to psychological uh, mobility sure. yeah. as well. So if I, if, I, hmm. if I have several choices as to how to stand, hmm. then I have several choices how to approach you in yeah. a potential conflict. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, um, so that's kind of defense as it relates to Sistema. Um, but given the whole Sistema for Life precept here, and I'd like to kind of touch on a little bit, and this kind of more crosses over with your field of, of what you do with wellness um, and getting people to change their habits and, and not sabotage themselves in what they're doing, right? And what kind of defenses can we set up for ourselves in terms of health, in terms of fitness, in terms of kind of, even in terms of something like like, like wealth, like financial security, right? If, if any of these things are missing, if we feel like we don't have enough ongoing cash flow, for example, to you know pay our rent, Mm. or to buy food, right? We feel that on the inside as a psychological mm. uh, deficit, right? Mm. It, it makes us afraid and we and we'll be defensive and we'll maybe we'll ignore opportunities because we don't feel free to take them because we're like, no, I can't because I have to pay the rent and I have to do other things, right? Mm. Um, or we'll you know, avoid meeting people or we'll do certain things and maybe become cheap right? in different ways mm. or, um, or we'll make decisions that we wouldn't have made where we're not afraid of you know, losing that. And it, but if you've got like some big nest egg or a big chunk of emergency funds in the bank, you feel quite differently and you act differently in your everyday life, I think, than somebody who's just getting by month to month on what's going on. So I think that's a fairly simple example. Mm. Are there corollaries here in like health and nutrition and just general exercise for you? Is, are there any patterns that you've seen? Is there like a, a minimum effective dose of these things <laughs> that makes people feel more secure in themselves? Hmm. Well, hmm. that's a uh, question I haven't thought about before. Hmm. So, um, I mean, 
So let's say for nutrition, for example. I mean, so maybe the first thing that you could do is stop eating things that make you feel terrible, obviously. Right, just well. don't react well with you. Right? And I think most people touch on that from time to time, right? Even people who have terrible diets, they'll, they'll get sick to the point where they're like, oh, God, every time I eat cheese, I just yeah. <laughs> explode, right? And they, and they might actually cut down on cheese, right, or whatever it's going to be. But then that's kind of where mm. they stop. They're like, all right, that's satisfactory. I'm not what mm. I would call healthy, but I'm not mm. killing myself with my food anymore. But then they might kind of yeah. stop there. Is there it's, kind of a step further that people can go? Well, for mm. me, the interesting thing is they're going to have cheese again, mm. right? At some point in the future, they're going to forget because they keep doing it. Yeah. Right. So to me, the, th the important thing is not specifically the food, Mm. You know, I have, I have very clear opinions about what foods sure. are, mm. or, or should I say, um, evidence-based assertions sure. on what, <laughs> what foods are, are good for yeah. most people. But the interesting thing is, can people stop using food in place of emotional stability? Okay, like eating their feelings. Eating their feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, so I do uh, usually one day a week of a, a 24 to 36-hour fast. Okay. And the thing I love about that hmm. is that it really puts me in touch with all the times that I have the impulse to reach for food when I'm hmm. when I'm not hungry or hmm. or like oh I just got off the phone hmm. and now I want to go and get myself a Lara bar. Hmm. Why is that? It was am I hungry now than I wasn't three minutes ago or hmm. did something happen on the phone call? Yeah. So it's you know to me it's it's more like. Everyone can choose how they how they eat, and, mm. and you know the issue is if people could um, follow through on what they say they want to eat. Yeah, like I I, you know, I know lots of people who are into paleo and keto, which I don't uh, hmm. think is, I don't subscribe to. Yeah, but I see them not being able to do that. Mm. <laughs> right, so it's not it's uh, there's there's plenty of food that everybody agrees is not healthy. Yeah, right, like Fruit Loops is right. not on anyone's list of. Yeah. Of health foods, mm. regardless of your, you know, vegan or CrossFit, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. But people eat them, eat it anyway. Mm. And so I think that, you know, where, where I see the connection here is if our nervous systems are constantly in a state of under threat, yeah. then every, everything that happens to us that's slightly negative, like tips us over mm. into a fight or flight. And so we want to just sort of gorge on whatever crappy calories we can get our hands on just in case. Okay. So, that, so I can see that quickly though becoming kind of like a circular argument of like the way that you don't eat your feelings and like put on weight and eat terrible foods that make you sick is that you just fix all the other problems in your life that make you emotional yeah. like, and then you'll have a good diet right yeah, versus no, the idea no, of no. like well, let's have a good diet first but I, I see fasting as a definite way out yeah. of that right that's like the short circuit well, to that even, feedback loop or even just being I mean mm. you know I, I wouldn't say like look you have to uh, fix your relationship with your mother from when you were two years old and until then you're gonna you're doomed to eat crap like you can cert we can certainly use that experience hmm. to learn how to eat better, even if we don't solve it. Hmm. Like we get, we get to like. So do you do this with your clients? You like on a like oh, almost like a psychiatrist? You're like, why do you feel like you are reaching for that every no, day? No, no, I, I I try to discourage them from coming up with answers because mm. as soon as they come up with oh it's because my mother ignored me when i was two years old because my dad was in the military and she was worried about him okay and that's why i drink a, a quart of bosco a day and that becomes a justification instead. yeah and yeah, so now yeah. now they're like okay but look one of the things that i've has had the biggest impact on my psychological and physical health is more is daily dousing mm. and if and I, I address my food cravings the same way i address that bucket okay yeah. which is this is a fight. Hmm. I've got to get through it somehow. So. I've got to get through it. And hmm. you know what? That, that bucket is not going to beat me. Hmm. That bucket is not going to get the better of me. I'm going to make myself stronger 
because of it. And that's, that's part of what the fasting is about then? It's like the food is not going to get the better of me. I'm the master of the food rather than the other Yeah, one. well, yeah. It's, it's more like, you know, when, I mean, when I'm fasting, it's easier. Hmm. Is what I'm eating. And I say, well, I want another, I want another bowl just because I want to feel fuller, even hmm. though I'm full. Or I'm going to have this dessert or I'm going to have three of these when I should really not have any. Hmm. And then instead of saying, oh, well, you know, I then, I then view those, okay, this is, this is a fight. Hmm. This is a way for me to get better. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and when people start doing that around food hmm. and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to view this as an opportunity hmm. to assert my agency yeah. over something that has, you know, most people view their, their addiction, their, their food choices as addictions. Yeah. It feels like they're powerless over it. Yeah. And instead to say, let's go head to head. Hmm. You know, when you see, when you're driving by and you see the golden arches, hmm. you can, if you don't want to eat that stuff, you can, hmm. you know, go in, eat it all the while talking to yourself, why am I doing this? Yeah. Or you can look at it like a bucket of water and mm. saying, okay, this, this is my next opponent. Mm. This is my, this is my systema class mm. for today. This is where I get to face something unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is, is there like, um, a place across the board then for some sort of necessary withdrawal in order to kind of retrain the impulses there? I mean, I can see kind of like a parallel with the, um, like the tech proofing course that I'm teaching on corporate stuff around mm. encouraging people to take like a, an entire week where they're hardly using their devices so that they can see just how twitchy they are and how often they're reaching for things. And if 250 times a day you get the impulse to pick up your phone and the the result every time is pick up your phone, then you're training yourself to right. respond to those impulses in one way. But if at least for one day a week or for one week out of a month, you train the opposite impulse, which is like, I feel the impulse and I do nothing with it, right? Or I feel the impulse That's... and I do something else or I go for a yeah. walk or I breathe. Then you, you're kind of retraining those, uh, those circuits in the brain and then building up a sense of psychological defense against whether it's an addictive gadget, whether it's like an yeah. addictive food. Like yeah, it's gonna I, think, be. yeah. I think it was Viktor Frankl who said that between the stimulus and the response lies freedom. Nice. Yeah, right. absolutely. Mm. So that, yeah, and, and I see the same, exactly the same thing in Systema training itself. I can't, yeah. I can't throw a good strike mm. unless I can stop throwing a bad one. Right. Yeah, it gets attached right. to the idea. Yeah. Right. So the first thing I'll do is raise my shoulder, mm. shift my weight, mm. right? Look at you in a certain way. Like mm. I'll do 12 tells before mm. I ever start. Sure. And those are, those are the things that have to be inhibited. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about it before, Systema is sort of informed natural movement. Yeah. But there's but there's an awful lot that we need to inhibit that have just become you sure. know that are ingrained patterns that are maybe based on uh, conditioning or internal you know, fight or flight. Sure. That instincts. Are, that mm. instincts that we need to uh, to examine and and be aware of in ourselves so that mm. we can choose them or something else. Nice. Brilliant. So how about um, just with exercise generally? So let's let's assume for the sake of argument that some people listening mm. to this are maybe friends or relatives of people who train Systema but aren't actually into rolling around with Russian dudes and punching each other in the face and that's not yeah. their idea of getting exercise, right? How would this, can you see ways in which this idea of like the best defense is actually having a defense, right? <laughs> um, how would that apply to things like um, like distance running or just even just running for exercise or for health in the, in the way that you've kind of got into it over the last couple of years? Um... Because I, I see yeah. some people, the reason why I say yeah. it is that I see some people go from like zero to like, now I'm going to do 5Ks because that's really healthy and I lost a bunch of weight and then they get into ultra running or do something else and then they kind of destroy themselves. Do it, they, yeah. they go too far. Do you know what I mean? They mm -hmm. end up with like terrible injuries by the time they're 30. I don't know, I've got some, some people from university and stuff that are all 
broken up and beaten up now. I do martial arts and I'm like, sometimes I say, oh, I'm, I'm a bit beaten up, but I'm nowhere near as beaten up as some of these people that run. Yeah. Uh, that said, I'm not saying that ultra running is, un, is necessarily unhealthy, but it can be approached in a weird addictive way. Do you know what well, I mean? Other types of exercise, CrossFit, stuff like that too, the same sort of thing. So how do we defend ourselves with exercise yeah. uh, without going over into aggression, like aggressive right. exercise? So I'll say two things about that. One, yeah. one is, to get good at knowing your body and to know what is good pain and what's bad pain. Right. Okay. Right. What's what is adaptive mm. stress and mm. what is damage. Mm. Okay. And, it's, and it's hard to know that unless you cross the line. <laughs> yeah. Every so often. Sure. Um, and you, and know that our bodies are are not just meant to benefit from adaptive stress, but we're meant to snap back from yeah from injuries as well. It's not it's not calamitous. It's not the end of the world to, sure. have, to have shin splints or, sure. or yeah. you know a torn quad or something like that. Right. But what, you know, that, that said, hmm. the thing about long distance running that makes it dangerous is that you're doing the same thing for a long time. It's like a repetitive strain injury. So if you're doing, it, if you're doing yeah. it badly, yeah. you're amplifying the hmm. badness with every single step. Okay. So if, if you go out for a five mile run and you hurt a little bit, hmm. and you go out for a 10 mile run and you hurt more, hmm. and you do a 20 mile run and you hurt even more, and after a marathon, the same thing is killing you, hmm. then fix your gait. Okay. <laughs> like yeah. don't Don't... It should, movement should make us feel better. Yeah. Right? How many times at the end of a, of a systemic class do people say, oh, well, you know, I didn't feel like coming. I was tired. I was yeah. achy. I was even feeling a little heavy, a cold coming on, but now yeah. I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Like movement should make us feel good. Right. Yeah. And so if you're, you know, if you're training, yeah, there'll be some sucky runs hmm. that you'll be pushing yourself to, uh, Mm. So that you can do the race, mm. but in general, like, like first of all, most of our most of our walks or runs should be recovery. Mm. Good, a good two thirds of them should be slow enough that you can recover on your feet. Mm. So I, I heard a um, an anecdote about uh, Kipchoge, the uh, Eliud Kipchoge, the guy who's about to break the two hour marathon, oh, okay. like the yeah. greatest marathon long distance runner of all mm. time. Which, which if you do the math, he's running twenty six miles at like a four thirty pace. Mm-hmm. Which is about me sprinting ten yards. Like okay, that's that's right. he's keeping that's, that going for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and he runs 115 miles a week when he's training, mm. and most of his runs are at about a 9:30 or a 10 minute pace. Okay, so twice like half the speed that he normally does. Yeah. Okay. So for me, mm. if I if I extrapolate, if I'm if I'm trying to race at an eight minute pace for a mm. marathon, mm. that means I should be at about a 12 mm. minute. Uh, training pace most of the time, okay. which feels yeah. terribly slow. Okay, so so just picking two things out from what you've said. So one is um, don't set yourself up for repetitive strains. So if you're going for exercise, start with fixing your position, fixing your technique mm-hmm. and your gait a little bit, right? Don't mm-hmm. maybe exercise for a long time, like start picking up weights and things and then find out you've got an injury, learn mm-hmm. how to do it properly first and then do it. And, and the same thing mm-hmm. with running. Don't just assume that you can run, right? And give that a go. And the second one is deliberately underachieve. Right. If you yeah. even if you're looking to do a 5K in a certain time or something, you should train sub um, like to maybe 60 percent of your full capacity in order to avoid um, building up. Yeah. Unnecessary yeah. And that's yeah. actually, you know, mm. it's not underachievement. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's in, it's yeah. intelligent. Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. So to uh, to to know to 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 see the balance between exertion and recovery. Okay, and to keep some in the tank, just in case. <laughs> yeah, because well, I mean, you know, if if you're Kipchoge and you're paying, getting paid thirty-eight million dollars a year hmm. to run, hmm. that's all you need to do. If you also hmm. happen to have a job and a family hmm. and civic responsibilities, yeah, then you know, if you're running, you know, twenty, thirty hours a week, yeah, you, like why? 
Like, yeah, what, yeah. What, what are you running from? Yeah, yeah, good question. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, and then how about in just in terms of um, kind of general kind of uh, body, uh, body health and fitness in areas that don't relate to nutrition or exercise? Are there mm-hmm. other things? So you mentioned body work earlier on that you went to a body worker in New York yeah. who pointed out that, you know, you had an underactivated set of core muscles and uh, even having a few little fixes for those made a big difference in your yeah. ability to keep your legs relaxed which probably has knock-on effects for your general health and your ability to run and all kinds of other things right um yeah. is body work and massage um for you and also the dousing is, is that um a, a critical mm-hmm. part of kind of body self-defense for you or health defense hey i'll just create a website i think health defense health defense <laughs> <laughs> that's right um, if it's done well yeah. Like what I what I really uh, appreciate about this particular body worker is that there's very little there's a little bit of sort of manipulation. Uh, mostly, it's based on assessment mm. and then me doing the work. Yeah, like I'm on the table, you know, I'm, or I'm standing mm. and I'm doing really really hard work, uh, externally mm. rotating my hips mm. while planting my first metatarsal head on the ground. Mm. Like like I'm doing hard work. Mm. So I like that better than having, you know, being done to. Mm. So there's, there's certainly a place for body work where someone's working on tissue and massaging me. Mm. But if I'm not learning from it and if I'm not practicing mm. those things, then again, it's not agency. It's I need something external to fix myself. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciate about the Sistema lifestyle mm. is that I'm always looking to take responsibility mm. for, for fixing myself. And it, it goes across the board. So whether it's mm. you know, sleep or hydration, hmm. um, you know, stress management, hmm. um, sexual health, everything. Hmm. Like I want to take her, I have agency. It's like yeah. the, the main thing I teach hmm. in, in the work that I do is to, to kind of get lay people to realize the doctor is not your source of health. The pharmacist hmm. is not your source of health. Yeah, It's you, you, yeah. you have the locus of control. And so sure. then just giving people information and tools hmm. to access that. But ultimately I think it comes down to self-responsibility. And, and is that the prerequisite, you think, for, for kind of permanent change and not just kind of a temporary thing what people would do? If they achieve that um, control, right, or agency or in system of what we might just call freedom, right? right. Is it, I'm stable enough, I'm mobile enough, I'm psychologically free enough to be able to feel like I'm in control of my body, right? Is it, is it once people have that taste of freedom and control, they don't want to go back the way and they're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like and now I'm happy, you know, kind of yeah. that way. Is that, is that the self I think fulfilling thing that will keep yeah, you about I, it. I think I think it's actually about momentum. Mm. So like I don't think Vladimir worries about slipping back mm. because he's so focused on getting better. Mm. Like he, he just seems to be like a little kid fascinated with <laughs> with the edges of his own performance. Yeah. Like how can I do this differently? How can I be stronger? Yeah. You know, and just watching you posted a while back on Facebook an, an old yeah. uh, Canadian broadcasting clip of him. Yeah. And I said, wow, he, you know, that's amazing. But he's no, he's no, he was nowhere near as good then. Yeah. As he, he is, is now. now. Yeah. Mm. And so for a lot of people, health starts out as plate spinning. Like how, like minimum effective dose, how much can I get away with? Yeah. Right. Or how little exercise do I have to get? Yeah. And, and you know, that's, it's very unsustainable because it's, it feels like plate spinning because I got to keep, you know, shoehorning these activities that I'm not crazy about into my life or I've got to go eat the salad or I can't mm. have the steak or mm. whatever it is, as opposed to when you're chasing, when you, when you have that taste of freedom and you realize mm. life can be about becoming better becoming mm. more authentic like that's mm. joyful mm. fuel okay like that's when i see it switch mm. so there's definitely a place for like embracing 
joy in your practice no matter what it is right whether you're running whether you're doing sistema it's like if, if you don't find joy in it you're probably not going to keep it going long enough to get the defensive benefits either right or, yeah the joy yeah. the joy in who it who it helps me become hmm. you know i think this relates to our conversation a few weeks ago on mastery hmm. which is why we, we do it just because it's the best drug right nice well that's beautifully worded and i can't think of a better way to round off the podcast than that one so that will be the uh, the soundbite nice one well thanks very much again howie for taking the time and uh have a blinder of a day. And you too. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Systema, please visit us online at www.ncsystema.com.